The Koivig Pod. Well, I'm smiling from a Manchester United viewpoint. Champions League nearly in the bag. But Man City will be really disappointed. They didn't look like the team that had won 14 on the trot. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Time for us to talk about uh, the genius that is Sam Kerr and start to make the entire nation slightly worried about the fact that uh, we're going to face her in the World Cup. Uh, scoring for Chelsea at the weekend as they won the Women's FA Cup before a massive, massive crowd at Wembley Stadium. I'm delighted to say Emma Sanders, broadcast journalist with BBC Sport, is with us this morning to reflect on this. Emma, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, I'm good, thanks. Hope you're well. It's uh, not breaking news, but um, Sam Kerr is devastating when she needs to be. Absolutely. I think, you know, we've heard Emma Hayes, her manager, say that she's the best striker in the world. And I think you you would find it hard to argue someone uh, against that because she just delivers in the big moments every single time. Uh, that was her sixth goal. In, it, it, that was a goal in six consecutive cup finals for Chelsea, which I think is just an unbelievable stat and... Yeah, she just needed one chance and, and she took it. It's the hallmark of a great striker, Emma, isn't it? Because you can be not involved and disassociated from a game and missing chances and just not getting the ball. And then all of a sudden the chance comes and she takes it. Yeah, because I think Manchester United were the better team in the first half. You know, they created more chances. Sam Kerr wasn't really in the game. At halftime, you were wondering how Chelsea were going to get the ball to her. She makes those runs in behind and that's where she is so dangerous. And Manchester United weren't allowing Chelsea to... To do that, they were they were really stubborn at the back, and then, you know, Emma Hayes made made a substitution, brought on Pernil Harder, brought on Sophie uh, Sophie Ingle in the middle, um, changed the system slightly, and it just seemed to completely unlock that Manchester United defence. And then suddenly, Sam Kerr was being able to make these runs in behind, and that was it. And uh, you just felt at some point she was going to have a moment, uh, and when it came, um, yeah, there was absolutely no mistaking. And uh, yeah, the backflip came out, trademark backflip celebration, which I think. Um, everyone at Wembley was was hoping to see. Certainly, the the uh, the Blues fans were hoping to see. Anyway, she had texted her mate before the match, hadn't she? Saying, "Watch out for the backflip today." So she she knew she was going to score essentially. Yeah, absolutely. You know, she she just knew that on the big occasions she always has those moments, and I think that was something that everybody sort of going into the final was looking out for. It was how long really can Manchester United keep her at bay? Um, and yeah, obviously they they did well for seventy odd minutes. Um, but yeah, as soon as that moment came, you know, I, I I wrote this in my match report, but you could already hear sort of the Chelsea fans. They were on their feet. They were they were half cheering before she'd even touched the ball because there was just no chance that she was going to miss it from there. And and yeah, I almost missed the backflip. Um, had my head down, writing the writing the information, and uh, yeah, almost missed it. But yeah, she she knew it was coming. I think most people in in Wembley knew it was coming as well. Emma Hayes' comments afterwards were, were very interesting, Emma, because she she kind of compared the, t- the styles of the two teams. She said this was a victory for grind um, and talked about how flexible her Chelsea team has become. Our team has become hybrid monsters, I think was the phrase. Like, what, does, what does she mean by that? Yeah, well, I think this season we've seen perhaps a different side to Chelsea than what we've seen before. Chelsea have obviously dominated English women's football. They've struggled in Europe um, until recent years where they've started to get into the latter stages. And I think by their progression in Europe, they've had to adapt their style slightly. So whereas, you know, certainly in the WSL, they used to dominate in the ball and um, controlling teams. And then they've tried to adapt in Europe where they're now a comfortable team out of possession as well. So like having someone like Samka, they are playing a lot more direct where they might only have two, three chances in a game and they've just become really ruthless. Um, so they've now sort of taken that 
over across the whole season this year because of injuries to senior players. Sanka has often been the only attacking player that they've got fit. Um, they've had some of the big injuries at centre-back. So, yeah, they have had to sort of fight through games and grind out wins. Um, it's not always been pretty. But I think that was what Emma Hayes was addressing it in, in after the final was that actually her side have now found, found a way to adapt to certain situations Um certain formations and when players are missing they have other players who can come in rotate play slightly different roles but they're all very clear on what they need to do that perhaps wasn't something that we saw two three years ago from this Chelsea side so it's a progression and uh, as I say Manchester United were arguably the better team across the 90 minutes but certainly as the game went on you felt Chelsea were coming into their own Um, and it certainly wasn't a massive surprise the timing of the goal because they had just started to to cause some more problems. So, yeah, it was, uh, I think Emma Hay said it was the most memorable FA Cup final win that, that she's had with Chelsea. Emma, speaking of progression, um, there was a, a record crowd for a domestic football match. Uh, um, we'd seen just the previous week, or maybe 10 days ago, the, the crowd for the arsenal Wolfsburg game. And there's been uh, regularly across the course of the season, record crowds surging towards the game. And coming off the aftermath of the tournament that um, was so successfully hosted by England, it does feel as if there's been a proper learning about how to build on something. Um, like the word legacy around sports tournaments is always, you know, like look back in London and uh, what is London's tarnished legacy now for hosting the Olympic Games. But for some reason, this time, there does seem to be a very clear correlation between what happened and what's happening now. Why do you think that is? First off, is that correct? Is it a legacy or has it been building anyway and the tournament was kind of incidental or, or what's your what's your assessment of that? And if it is true, why is that happening? Yeah, I, I do think it is true. I think the game was building anyway, but at nowhere near the acceleration or the level that it has post-Euros. So, um, yeah, I, I do agree. I do think it has had a massive impact. And I think there's several reasons for why they've managed to to be successful. And I think one of them has to go to the FA um, because they had obviously planned the tournament with the future in mind and they had been in communication and correspondence with with all the clubs, certainly in the Women's Super League, but also um, with UEFA and other governing bodies around the world on how they can make sure that the Euros had a lasting impact. So, um, you know, it's not often that you give praise to, to the Football Association, but I think certainly they deserve one on this time. Um, and likewise, the clubs themselves, I think, you know, they were well aware that they needed to capitalise in terms of marketing, they needed to invest. And it wasn't down to just one or two clubs, it needed to be a collective effort across the league. So if they wanted better broadcast deals, then they needed to to show uh, the media, show the TV, that they were going to be investing in quality players, they were going to be recruiting the best players in the world. Um, so I think clubs certainly as well, um, they improved their marketing and they improved their recruitment, their investment and the players as well, because I think the players have taken a lot of things on their shoulders in terms of outside of football. And certainly you look, you look at the England squad and England captain Neil Williamson is a great example. She really strived in that role of, of responsibility. And, you know, it wasn't just about going on the pitch and playing football. To her, it meant a lot more. And I think she wasn't afraid to show that. And she spent a lot of time in the media, um, going around to grassroots football. Um, obviously, they spent time working with the government to try and, get football in schools so yeah I think it was a collective effort really and several reasons why but certainly you know the success of England um, helped big time um, 
but yeah, I think certainly the way that they capitalised on that is something that should be celebrated. Do you know, are there specific examples, and not to put you on the spot here, but um, what the FA actually did, what, what was part of their plan to make sure that they were able to unleash what has happened? Well, I think just in general, it was it was about one of their main goals was getting more people into stadiums. Um, so, you know, when you mentioned there the attendances, that was something that they'd set out before the tournament had started. It was one of their main goals that they wanted to achieve post-Euros. Um, so simple things like they had uh, members of the, of the FA going into clubs and um, sort of running workshops on how they can improve their marketing and their ticket sales. Um, they were in correlation with clubs around when they can host games at men's stadiums. So, for example, I know they worked uh, with Arsenal in terms of trying to build their regularity at the Emirates Stadium and Arsenal have been a brilliant example to to everyone, uh, certainly in the WSL. They played three WSL games there this season. They played every knockout round in the Champions League and obviously they reached the semi-finals uh, this year and we've seen them host you know huge crowds obviously they they now have the WSL record as well uh, which was which was um, made this season so you know Arsenal was a great example of a club that wanted to grow that sustainably and the FA have sort of guided them through that um, and they've now recently announced that from next season they'll be having five WSL games there next season so that's up from three um, and again if they can qualify for the Champions League then all of the knockout stages will be played there so um, yeah, that would be one example, really. It was, it was just about sort of those workshops and getting certain personnel in, in specific areas uh, of expertise, really, to help help guide clubs through through that, you know, sustainable pro- process, really. Yeah, because in, in like the history of world sport, it's a really brilliant example of what happens when you get all the stakeholders invested behind a plan and everybody kind of fully understands what the plan is. And then ultimately the upside, we don't know what the upside is, but we're starting to see it. Yeah, yeah, and I think... I think that's the really exciting thing is that it's not just, you know, it's not just one person driving this or one organisation driving this. As you say, it's everyone involved. It's the media, it's the fans, it's the players, uh, it's the football associations, it's the clubs. Um, and it's all a, a collective. And I think that's why it has been so successful because it isn't just down to one factor. It's down to several things and several people working together. And that needs to carry on. You know, that, that can't stop. I think that's something as well that obviously the FA are keen on doing. Um, they're about to sort of hand over the WSL to a new company, which we were we were told yesterday would be um, August 2024 that they're eyeing that up. So that's going to be the next stage. And at the moment, it's you know it's about members of the PFA, uh, members of clubs, um, the FA board in conversation with with a sort of CEO working group on how they can they can take that next step and ensure that the legacy of the Euros isn't just a one-year thing or a two-year thing, that it actually becomes, uh, you know, a 10, 10 to 20-year thing and it, and it continues. Um, I know you have the finger on the pulse when it comes to the, the transfer market. Um, we, we do a lot of talking about Megan Campbell on this show, not just about her long throw-ins, but we're curious to see where her, where her future lies, whether it's at Liverpool or beyond. Do you have any insight as to where Megan Campbell might be playing her football next season? Yeah, well, as far as my understanding, it, it won't be at Liverpool um, unless anything dramatically changes overnight. You know, she was in conversations with Liverpool for, for several months. I think she was quite keen to extend her contract there. And, and uh, yeah, my understanding is uh, last week those those talks broke down. So um, I'm expecting her to leave the club this summer. Where to? We're not too sure yet. Um, I know Brighton had showed interest earlier in the season, but, um, you know, they've sort of directed their attention. Targets 
now she short of interest certainly she proved she was very very effective in in the women's championship last season um maybe maybe her age might might put her off a couple of WSL clubs but I think certainly there'll there'll be suitors there um so yeah I think she'll uh it would as I say I don't think it it will be at Liverpool but I think if she was to stay in the WSL I don't think that would come as a surprise to anyone Emma we leave it there good stuff thanks a million for joining us cheers Thank you. It's Emma Sanders there giving us some thoughts on the uh, situation uh, in the WSL and also I I think there's significant lessons for the FAI to learn from the boom in underage figures uh, in particular um, and maybe they could start working on those attendances as well because when we were talking with Vinnie, Cathy was putting into our, our group chat that um, the WS, the National Women's League here figures for attendances haven't seen a boost since qualification or a significant boost um, so it's definitely worth just teasing out why that might be or what could happen to try and uh, get people to come to the games and then to be that rolling momentum that Vinny was talking about earlier on with regards to the men's game particularly in Tala and just to let you know as well the latest episode of Koi Gig is available now should be now uh, wherever you get your podcasts and the best place, of course, is the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.